This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Prime Spark, the podcast that brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. The second women's revolution is here, and it is time for us to fuel a spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Now, here is your host for Prime Spark, Sarah Hart. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most productive, and fulfilling lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get started now. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Rebecca Bloom, a woman whose work I greatly admire. Rebecca Bloom is a storytelling coach, editor, content strategist, and writer. Rebecca has written and edited numerous books, including memoirs, cookbooks, workplace manuals and business books, and project-managed publications for many of her clients. Rebecca has also devised and led memoirs classes and writers' workshops and coached writers and speakers in genres and formats, including historical fiction, memoirs, novels, pilots, screenplays, pitches, treatments, blog posts, scholarly pieces, TED Talks, and more. A former workplace and benefits attorney, Rebecca has served nonprofits in the education and women's health space throughout her career. Her longest and proudest affiliation is with Bay Area Cancer Connections, where she has served as a patient advocate and advisor for women fighting breast and ovarian cancer for over 23 years. Rebecca received her BS in Humanities from Yale University and her JD from New York University School of Law. Welcome, Rebecca. I'm so happy you're here. Hello, Sarah. So nice to be here. Good. So let's get started. Let me just ask you, do you experience getting older? And if you do, what is that experience? And if you don't, why is it that you think you don't? Well, sure I do. I think everybody does. I think the question is how you how you frame it in your own head. And, and yes, there are some physical things. My shoulders seem to enjoy freezing all of a sudden, <laughs> something I, have, I, I did not anticipate at this moment in my life. Um, but mostly for me, yes, I experience getting older, but I do it with, with a kind of joy and wonder. Um, I really am not interested so much in dwelling on the negative associations of getting older, so much as embracing the challenges and accepting and implementing the, the, the wisdom and the love that is, that is mine. That's beautiful. You know, I have talked to so many older women about their experience of aging or not or whatever. And 
I'll bet you 99% say similar to what you said. Yes, I experience it physically. I have, you know, this pain or hurt that I didn't have. But overall, I feel wonderful. I feel much better. I feel, you know, I'm freer, more me. I'm happy, you know. So that is something that um, our society needs to understand, that we're better as we get older. We're not worse as we get older. So one of the things I would love to hear you explain is your website, Hold This While IP Productions. I found it absolutely riveting to read it. Tell us about what it is and what you do. Absolutely. So what we do with, uh, and I, I work on this with my partner and colleague, Pamela Weiss, is we are trying to incubate and elevate women's stories. So that has a really a, a, a transmedia feel to it. You know, it isn't, it, it, we don't decide before talking with a woman who we work with where it's going to go or what it's going to be. You know, Pamela has so much experience in journalism and in screenwriting. And I have all the varied experience that I have with publishing and books and, you know, various media, TED Talks, as you mentioned, things like that. And so what we're trying to do is help women control their own intellectual property and then think about the different modalities, the best ways to reach the audiences that they're hoping to reach. What are the platforms? What are, what are the genres? What is the purpose? What is the goal? All these things really, really make a difference when you try to strategize that. So that's what we do with our writers. And it's absolutely thrilling and exhilarating. So if I came to you with a story, what would we do together? So the first thing we do is we'd say, Sarah, what are you hoping to achieve by telling this story? That, that, that'd be the first thing. And, and then we would really help you strategize, well, is this a memoir? Is this a self-help book? Is this something that you think would, would reach the audience and reach your goals in a better way if it was visually told? What might that look like? You know, there's so many, it's almost dizzying how many ways you can get a message out today. And, and some of them, unfortunately, are really reductive and they're really sound bitey. Um, you know, with all due respect to the TikTokers of the world, you know, it, it, it's an art form, I suppose. But, you know, there are so many ways to get a meaningful story out there. So many avenues, so many, so many different websites, magazines, you know, conferences. Sometimes people the best way to get a story out is get yourself on the docket of a, of a conference where people are talking about something you really care about, get out there and meet the other people who care about it too. Sometimes that's what people are looking for. So what is a story, Rebecca? It's the ancient and sweet thing that makes us human. That's what a story is. A story is, um, it's the, it's the lifeblood of our humanity. It's that big. And obviously it can be co-opted. We can talk about it in a corporate way. We can talk about it in a Hollywood way, but it all comes back to that. So is, is a story something describing something that happened to me or 
Is it my describing observations I've made? Or is there anything that makes a story a story rather than something else? Well, that's a great question. Like, is a tweet a story? Is a Instagram post a story? Right? Um, I would argue that it, it is if it evokes emotion, if it evokes connection. You know, to me, a story is a, is a two-way experience between the storyteller and between the person who is experiencing or consuming the story. And so for me, it's a story if it evokes a response. And obviously there are so many ways to structure a story and there's so much more that we could say about fleshing it out, but at its essence, I think that's what it is. It's an interaction between the storyteller and the people that the story reaches. That's fascinating. I, um, I wrote a book called The Upside of Downsizing, Getting to Enough. And it's, um, it's, oh, it's helping people understand the emotional side of downsizing your home. And it's my journey through doing it myself. And so I never thought of that as a story. But now that you say that, um, the woman who was helping me, I said, I want the reader to feel as if I'm listening to them. That's what I want. I want them to feel as if I am listening to them. And she went, oh, that's really interesting. Um, because it, that sort of turned around. Usually a writer would want the reader to listen to, the, to me, the writer. But I really wanted the reader to have a sense I was listening to them. Does that make sense to you as a story guru? Absolutely. I love that idea. Look, it's about engagement, right? So it, it's, it's a 360 engagement. So it doesn't really matter who initiates it. Um, any piece of art, right? And a story is a piece of art too, I would argue, is about the interaction between the person who created it and the people who are looking at it and experiencing it. So I don't really think we need to just, we, I, I don't think it's necessary that you have to be, you know, authoritarian in your authorship, as it were. I think you can be open like that. It's a conversation. I love that idea. So yes, go you. So, so a, a story is a work of art. Is every work of art a story? I think it is. I would certainly like to think so. I get up in the morning thinking, thinking that. Yes, I do. Does a story need to have a beginning, a middle, and an end? Depends what kind of story it is. I mean, if it's a television experience, then yes, there are certain milestones that have to happen. Um, but, you know, there's, there's so much room in the world for genre bending. And, you know... Creative people bend genres all the time. They bend paradigms. That's how we progress as a society. So I have an open view towards that. Oh, that's fun. So is there anything that makes women's stories special? Oh, there are so many things that make women's stories special, Sarah. Um, how much time do we have? We have enough time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to begin with, women tend to be the carriers of the stories, you know, throughout cultures, throughout history, you know, 
the campfire, um, you know, think about it, think, think about it really cross-culturally. It's so often women who, who, who share the stories, you know, they sit, they talk, they nurture all those things. And not all of them are, um, you know, I'm not really even talking only about Western culture here, not at all. Um, so there, there's that, but there's also, you know, women are natural creators. This is what we do. We create. Yeah, right. So yes, there's so much, there's, there's, there's so much um, magic that happens when stories begin with women. I mean, I could go on, like I said, but <laughs> What well, do you think I, about that? I I think that there is, but I'm not sure what it is because, um, but for me, stories are magical. I mean, I still now, all somebody would have to say to me is once upon a time, and I'm ready to sit down on the floor with a blanket and a cup of cocoa. I mean, I love stories. Um, and I think, as a huge generalization that women's stories have more of them in it than men's stories. But I could not prove that, but that's a sense I have. You don't have to prove it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your, some of your favorite kind of stories to work with? Well, you know, for me, I'm always looking for uh, justice and triumph of goodness and the power of kindness and connection. Those are the kinds of stories that, that keep, keep me coming back. All right. We need that right now. Yeah, we do. Maybe we always need it, but we certainly need it right now. I think we always did, <laughs> but, but there's also an argument that now more than ever. Sure. Right. So tell me if you agree or disagree with this. I think history is story. And that most history has been written by men. And so women have been forgotten in history because they haven't been the um, established historians. I fully agree. You know, so much of our culture, in fact, is, um, is colored by the male gaze, right? And history, certainly that's true. I mean, women and other marginalized groups historically have been written out of history. And then what do we do? Well, we back into it by having a blank history month. You know, um, <laughs> think about that, right? Instead of Women's History Month or Black History Month, it should be every day is each of those things because it should be woven together and integrated the way human society is and should be. But, you know, that's a telltale sign that we're not there yet, isn't it? I love that. I never actually thought of that. That's absolutely right. Um, why do we have to highlight it? We have to highlight it because it's not there. That's exactly why. Interesting. So, Rebecca, what are some of the things you're working on right now that are most fun and interesting to you? So for me... I am working with women writers in so many different capacities. And um, some of the stories are just so transcendent to me, you know, stories about it, women's origins and 
where, you know, where they came from, how they started, what they've done with it, how they've seen their challenges turn into strengths and how they wear those, those scars, like, like amulets of power. These are the things that are really exciting to me. And obviously there are specifics that are quite vivid all over the map, but those are the through lines. So can you imagine something more fun than getting up in the morning and doing that? No. Well, there you go. <laughs> fun. So how can we, I mean, you're doing it. How can the rest of us help women recapture their story so that we can be more part of history? I mean, remembering women who did things and who have been incredibly important? I love this question. So to me, we have this very strange, noisy society right now. And we're all being asked to look at things that are pre-programmed for our minds, usually with a profit motive involved. And we're not stepping back and listening in, in the radical way that we need to. We're not curating our own lives the way we should. And to me, what is the real, the real key to that? It's radical listening. It's radical so, what? Radical listening. Listening. Oh. So how can we elevate women's stories? By listening. By showing the curiosity and the care. You know, do you sit down on the subway and there's an angel across from you and you don't know her story how can you engage and listen that's that to me is how that's fascinating it's radical listening and this probably um is sort of saying the same thing but what i'm thinking is and providing space i mean our lives are so jam-packed yeah and we don't, we don't have, we don't have time. We think. Yeah. The phones are beeping. Everything's going. The calendar is reminding you 10 minutes before you have to do something. You have to do something. You know, your attention is not focused in the way that allows you to truly listen. And really listening is the ultimate act of human love. So that's what we got to try to do. That's wonderful. I love that. I do some work called the thinking environment. And primarily it involves really listening um, to another person. So I couldn't agree more with you than that. So of all the things you've done in your life, and you've done so much fun stuff, what are three things that you're proudest of? Okay, number one is raising two badass women. I've got two daughters in their 20s and they are fully engaged citizens of the world. And I, I believe in evolution. I just can't believe the way they have evolved because it, it thrills me to the bone to know that they're going to make the world a better place, that they know who they are, they know what they need to do, and they know how to do it. So that's definitely my number one. Um, I don't know how I got so lucky, but I did. Second thing for me 
is you mentioned earlier my longest and proudest association with Bay Area Cancer Connections. The work that I do empowering women at a time when they most need to be heard and advocated on behalf of when they're fighting cancer with the myriad pressures and dysfunctions of the system that we're dealing with is truly one of the greatest honors of my life. And if I move the ball forward for these women, even this much, I've done something that I am enormously gratified to do. So that would be the second one. And then the third one is, it's got to be this creative storytelling coaching that I'm doing. Because for me, the magic of working with a woman writer and helping her see the shape of her narrative and get it to a more elevated place where it's going to achieve her purpose and her goals is just, it's supernatural. So it's hard not to be proud, but you know, I don't know if proud's really the right word for me. It's just more like I, I get to do these things. Those are three things I got to do that, that really complete me. Well, I think those are one, three one, absolutely fantastic things. And I would encourage you to feel proud. That okay. is not something women are encouraged to do. You're quite right. To feel grateful, we're to feel well, all sorts of things. But those things you can be very proud of. Thank you. Feel proud. So what's next? What dreams have you not yet realized? You know, I'd like to learn more about where I might fit in the arts. You know, I creativity is the healthiest drug that I've ever been on. <laughs> it's and so for me, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I would just like to explore the, the parameters of creativity some more. I don't know if that's music. I don't know if that's art. I don't know exactly what it is, but now that I've started, I don't want to stop. I have this, when you're saying that, I have this vivid image of you adding to the work you do with storytelling music. Um, and maybe you do that already, but that was a really strong image I had. Only in a very amateurish way. <laughs> so who knows? But, you know, I just, when you start to understand the power of expressing yourself creatively and you start to feel safe enough because you have a community, I'm, I'm part of this wonderful school where I'm honored to, um, to run some small groups with writers called the Story Summit Writers School. And it is so filled with luminous creativity that I literally feel like a child in a candy store, not knowing where to look first. I'm, my, my brain is on fire. So who knows where that goes? Do you, and you say that, I think, do you find or not that, that many women have had their creativity snuffed and they need to get back in touch with. I mean, if I think of myself as a child, I was made fun of for writing stories and I was told, oh, you can't draw. And I think that's true for a lot of us, sadly. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, yes. is that, have you found that? I have found it, you know, um, and, and, you know, some of the wonderful leaders of the school talk about how you should turn those wounds into art because I think we've all experienced rejection, stifling, 
you know, some feeling that somehow what it is that we're trying to put out there is, is not approved of content in some way, um, one way or the other, right? And so, yes, I think that's, I, I think that's especially true of women, you know, this notion of, of living out loud, you know, and how, you know, it's definitely part of particularly second wave feminism, right? Things like that. You know, there's, there's, there's still a stigma around being too big or too bold or too different. And, you know, being part of a tribe of creatives, which is a very new experience for me, has, has really opened some doors to my perception on that. So aren't That's I lucky? exciting. Aren't I lucky? Yeah. One of my very favorite storytellers is uh, Clarissa Pincola Estes. And I was listening to um, one of her tapes uh, or whatever we call them now. And um, she talks about the impact of the overculture. And I love that as a concept to think of the impact of the overculture. Oh, that's a great phrase. Isn't that a great phrase? Yeah. It's I often so descriptive. Think it's so descriptive. You know, there's one in my head that's, I, I sometimes say to myself, dominant culture, um, which I think must be a similar import. Um, but yeah, that's a really nice phrase. I love it. Yeah. So Rebecca, anything else at all you'd like to tell us about storytelling or your experiences or working with women or older women's stories as compared with younger women's stories or whatever? You know, the only thing I'd say is, um, you know, I used to be a lawyer and I think that, you know, a lot of women go through through these iterations and pivots in their careers when they have other pressures that they have to contend with and figure out where to go and what to do next. And, you know, there was a time in my life when I really regretted spending all that time and all that energy preparing for a legal career and then working like a dog, literally dog years, um, you know, at the beginning of my legal career in terms of, you know, the hours and the, and the stress and all that stuff. But looking back on it now, it makes such great sense to me that I, I, I really see, um, I really see what I got out of that. I really see that it helped me understand frameworks and really I use it in my storytelling work all the time in ways that I never anticipated that I would, you know, not just the precision with words, but the structuring of a narrative. And so what I learned from that and what I hope other women will always think about is all these things that you've done in your past can be a beautiful and transcendent part of your future if you choose to see it that way. I love that. One of my um, moments in working with um, some older women that I find saddest is the woman who has, for example, and there are other stories, but for example, spent most of her life as the homemaker. And so she's taking care of um, a family, um, a partner. Um, she's been responsible for um, several calendars. She's often responsible for the finances. She does all the organizing of the home, of the children as they're growing up. She's been on countless school committees. She's been on boards. And now it's at a time in her life when her children are gone 
and she doesn't feel as if she has any skills. And I find that so sad. So it's interesting whether one of the ways of helping her see that differently might be through recapturing some stories. I think you may be onto something there, Sarah. Isn't that fun? I never mm-hmm. thought of that before. It yeah. is. It is fun. Okay, I have loved this, Rebecca. Thank you very much. Um, Thank that's you our, so That's much. our time today. Um, please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. Find out more about Prime Spark at www. Dot primespark.com, primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest, Rebecca Bloom. You can find her at www.holdthiswhileip.com. So that's www.holdthiswhileip.com. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was lovely to be here. And thank you, everyone, for being with us. Take care. Spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Prime Spark. With each episode, Sarah Hart brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes about remarkable, experienced women, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available at Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most other major podcast sites. The second women's revolution is here, and we hope that you use the insights you've gained here to fuel the spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, 
go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.